Another week, another Guardians of the Future podcast, bringing it to you from a Tuesday. Hope everybody had a uh, good July 4th, uh, a safe July 4th. Just a lot, lot of crazy things going on. Um, hope you're all, all safe and, and had a good, you know, long weekend doing whatever you did. Um, Larry Doby Day is today. I'm, I'm Justin Laddich, run by Willie Hood. Willie, today is Larry Doby Day. I know Cleveland has petitioned for years to try to make Larry Doby Day a thing and, and uh, at least get to wear number 14 today on Larry Doby Day. They did one year, uh, I believe, in 2007. Hasn't happened yet, but um, I hope they will sometime in the future. Even if it's just Cleveland, I hope they eventually do get to wear number 14. Yeah, I don't understand why Major League Baseball hasn't backed and supported that idea. Um, at the very least, I think it's something that Cleveland should be promoting as a thing. And and I, I do believe they've done that with Larry Doby giveaways um, several Larry Doby jersey giveaways in recent years, uh, one this past weekend even. Um, I'd love to see a bobblehead as somebody who likes to collect those type of things. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good uh, I one. Love the, uh, I love the mural that they came up with with Satchel Page and Frank Robinson, by the way, to honor all three of those. Uh, that was very cool. I saw that in person on Saturday. That was great. I took uh, my aunt and uncle um, – were born, both born in Cleveland, but moved in 93 before the stadium opened. So they had never been to the stadium in their life. And um, first time I got to take them, they were, you know, both grew up Indians fans and never got to go. So I saw the mural Saturday. It was really cool. I, uh, yeah, I hope they do more. I'd like I said, Bobble had to be great, but I think uh, getting everybody to wear number 14 would be wow. really cool. One of these days, Ho- at least Cleveland, at least if, you know, if they're not going to have major league baseball, wide, at least let Cleveland wear number 14 every every July 5th. I think that's yeah, the correct direction. I, I think especially with him being a groundbreaking African-American in the American League, I think he's due and worthy of that honor, especially for what he went through in that time. And, uh, you know, good for the Guardians to honor him with that mural and, and Paige and Robinson as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was, uh, it was very cool, very well done. And the artwork was phenomenal, as good as you can ask for. A uh, lot to get to this week, so let's let's roll through it. We're going to try to stuff a lot of content to a little amount of time because we always end up going a lot longer because we can just never shut up, and, and you guys just love listening to us, I'm sure, <laughs> if you make it to the end of the podcast. Um, trying to think of all the things to throw out here real quick before we dive into everything. Uh, what the fun. Subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the website, rate, review, all that good stuff. Uh, you know, the Twitter handles, jail underscore baseball, W I L L H O O 99 on Twitter for Willie official underscore C G B I also wanted to throw this out there, Willie, we haven't really done this in a while. We did create a discord way back in April, um, for us to chat on. And I was thinking about throwing it out to subscribers to see if they were interested. I haven't really, none of us have really checked it in a while. Um, but if anybody listening is interested in a, uh, uh, guardians baseball insider discord, um, we have, you know, little chat rooms open for every level, every topic you can think of. And we have a subscribers only one. Um, so if you're listening and you're a subscriber, you know, feel free to reach out to me to let me know if you're interested in the discord. Um, if you're not a subscriber, reach out to me and I'll talk to you about it and see, I'm not sure how we're going to do that yet. I wanted to see if our writers would be more engaged in, in using that, but we haven't been, but if anybody's interested, we can make it work. Um, I think the thing there is we're all used to using Twitter. 
Yeah, I was thinking about maybe using that as a way to have more of a direct conversation with with fans and prospect fans, sharing video, sharing insights. I know I would like to use that when I'm covering a game. Instead of tweeting everything, I'd rather maybe share the insights from a game like Lake County um, there. So, yeah, if anybody's interested and would like to participate in that, we could probably get it rolling again. Um, I just didn't know what the level of fan interest would be. So, yeah, reach out to me if you're interested. Let's... uh, Let's roll in here, though, Willie. Uh, not, not a great weekend for the Guardians. Two out of three lost to the Yankees, and they got swept by uh, the Tigers in a doubleheader on July 4th. That was ugly. Um, there's a lot of things we can get into with that that we don't have time to get to today. The one thing I'm really curious about is why Gabriel Arias was up for, like, four or five days. I, I'm not sure why he was up. It looks like he played third base to give Jose some time off his feet. Um Jose says his thumb's not an issue right now, but he's slumping anyway. I think he's got like a a 500-something OPS over the last like 10 games or something. So I really don't know why Arias is up other than for Jose to get some time off his feet. But if the thumb's not the issue, I guess it was just more of a mental break than anything. But I, I still don't know why he was up for a couple of days. I guess maybe knowing that they had multiple doubleheaders, but they needed arms for those doubleheaders too. So a very confusing set of moves, I guess. Yeah, I I took it that he was there to give Jose a break. Um, as for why they sent him back down, you know, I mean, to me, he's not ready yet. Um, he's scuffled a little bit this year. I think I think it was not av- advantageous to have him up at this point, anyways. Uh, coming right off of an injury and almost coming back to the big leagues too, um, seemed like an odd way to get his legs under him, so to speak. But um, Hey, what do I know? You know, I, I think that they were doing what they thought was best for Jose and uh, trying to protect the team in the long run and give uh, Arias a look too, because I think I do think that the organization looks at him as a, a serious prospect for the long term, obviously, because because they've given him a couple of looks already. Um, I think sometimes the organization likes to give nods to their players with the amount of work that they put in, you know, just a, a way of tipping the cap and showing some respect in, in a sense. Um, there's other guys, other people are calling for, you know, to, to come up now. And I, I suppose we will get into that. Oh, we will. We will. Um, the only thing I'm going to do my weekly PSA, I might do, I might do this PSA once a week, Willie, until the trading deadline is over. What do you think I'm going to say? Do you know what I'm going to say? No, no, go for it. Gabriel Arias up for a week. Is not showcasing him for a trade. Showcasing doesn't showcasing doesn't exist. Uh, his trade value has not gone down or up because of his performance this year. Um, I, I don't know. He has like what 150, and he's, he was hurt for quite a while. So he's got what 150 at bats this year, whatever it is between AAA and the majors. 150 at bats this year likely doesn't really move the scale a ton for any any opposing scouts or GMs on Gabriel Arias' trade value. They have been watching him for years and have video on him, have scouting reports on him. They know who he is. They know what he can and can't do. 150 at-bats this year between AAA and the majors have really not tipped the scales. So he wasn't up for a showcase. His value didn't go down. His value is not up. He is who he is. That is your weekly PSA on showcasing. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm yeah, so I'm, close to doing that word on Twitter. So close. I am. Uh, I'm gonna 
go with the exact opposite, just just to be different from you, Justin. So no, there is showcasing, and I'll probably never be on the podcast again, and he's probably going to mute me on Twitter now. But I'm going to say that there is showcasing in baseball, but you are showcasing your skills for the ta talent development people that you already work for. Okay. You put it that way, that's fine. You're showing them if you've made progress on the things you've been working yes. on. How's that? Okay. You're showing people whether you belong, and those are the guys within your organization. There's, you're showing them whether you're a priority prospect or not. I think that's showcasing nowadays. Um, I like to use it sarcastically. So if you see me tweet about showcasing, know that I'm being sarcastic, okay? <laughs> he's, just, he's just trying to rile me up is what he's doing. He's just trying – well, he's just trying to see if he can make me mad. Well, That's his cheeks are a little do. bit red now. I know you all can't see him because <laughs> of the podcast, but I can. So <laughs> it almost matches my Ohio State shirt that I have on and Justin's Ohio State flag in the background. So I'm I'm very angry. I'm very upset. That's why. I'm very upset that he used that term. It should be a muted word. Um I it, okay, so speaking of things that are red, why why on earth? I can't, I can't figure out for the life of me what's wrong with Jose. Um, he says his rhythm's off. But, man, this offense is bad when he can't play. This, I mean, you've got a bunch of young guys. You're not getting – Framil Reyes is starting to wake up, I think. Um, Jimenez has been good. Quan's been fine. Miles Straw has been a disaster this year outside of April. When this offense doesn't have Jose hitting, they don't score. It's really bad. And, and if he says it's not the thumb – I don't know what it is. This is like a 2018 level slump for him. I mean, not, not lengthwise, but just uh, how he looks right now. And it's, it's really making things look ugly. Yeah. I think it exposes the rest of the lineup when he's not clicking, getting, getting on bases, getting big hits. Um, then you start to see the other guys and their flaws. And I think, unfortunately we're seeing the warts right now. And this is what I think usually happens with teams too, is mid season. You start, seeing who are the um, who are the contenders and who are the pretenders, you know, and I'm not saying that they're pretenders at this point. I think what we're seeing is a young team that's going to go through struggles and we're going to see their weaknesses and flaws. And I think coupled with that are a few injuries, Reyes one, Jose's thumb. And in my opinion, I say shut him down and keep him down for 10 days. And then, you know, I think they've tried not to do that. I suspect one problem leads to the, to another a lot of times for, for guys. Um, and it leads to compensation or overcompensation. And then you get your swing me messed up. Um, my opinion in that all, uh, that's all it is. I haven't done side-by-side -side video from a month ago or anything like that, looking at Jose and seeing what's off, you know, is his timing off? Is his swing off? Where is he off at? Um, but the two seem to coincide at the same time. And that tells me that they're connected. Yeah, you would surely think they are. He says he's healthy, but um, it seems like he's pulling off with one of his hands when he's swinging, so he's swinging one-handed. I know he has a tendency to do that sometimes, but I feel like he's always done it when he's had a hand injury, It's whether it's from the thumb or the wrist. So Trying I'm not sure it. either. Yeah, so either way, they need him 100%. And again, I don't know if it's an IL thing, if he's really, if he, you know, he feels fine and He's just in a funk. Teams have, have, have found a way to beat him, or he's, he's chasing changeups out of the zone. He's chasing some high fastballs. His strikeout rate is, um, you know, it's not as bad as it's ever been, but it's just not good. And um, I don't know. They really need they really need him back in the lineup. Uh, I also heard the broadcast say the other day, and I didn't think I'd ever 
I don't agree with this, but the way he was going and the way it sounded like Oscar Gonzalez being out has kind of hurt the team a little bit. Um, he had uh, looks like a, some kind of abdominal issue. So who knows how long he's out. I saw people speculating about Nolan Jones coming up. As far as I know, that's not happening anytime like in the near future. I do think, I think we have a chance to see Nolan Jones sometime in the month of July. I'm not sure when and how it would happen, but um, it doesn't seem to be like imminent like this week or next week. I, I just wonder if it'll be the end of the month. I'm not sure. And no, they won't be showcasing at the end of the month either. Um, but you know who is back is Oscar Mercado. And I can't figure that out. And I know um, well, I can figure it out. I can understand why, but some people were asking why not Alex call? Why would they bring Oscar Mercado back? And I think really it's, they trust Mercado in center. Um, they don't really worry if he plays one or two days a week. You know, whereas I mean, now and Alex calls what 27, 28. 27. I don't know if you necessarily. I don't know if you necessarily have to worry that Alex Call plays one or two days a week if you were to bring him up. Um, but I guess they would, and they trust Mercado more in center. And I don't think Mercado is going to be here a much a whole bunch longer. I think whenever Oscar Gonzalez comes back or they try to do something else, I think Mercado will go. But that and, and having it's a harder a time making. Yeah, known commodity versus an unknown commodity to me. Either way, you get a, a low end platoon piece. Um, Call has some above average pop there; can get on base a little bit. Um, but I think he's more of a corner utility piece, platoon piece, um, more than he is a, a guy that can play all three outfield spots and doesn't have the athleticism Mercado does. Uh, we've seen a little bit of right-handed pop from Mercado. So you're same player, younger version, out of options. Mercado, a player that you already know. Um, probably what call is or less. Yeah, I, th- I think it comes down to center field defense, like you said. And I think Mercado's probably about a runner, too. So I guess, you know, if you want to have a pinch runner. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's more athletic, fast. That's about the only thing I can think of. Yeah, offensively, you might get more, but I guess it's more. I don't really know why they have to rely so much on the pinch running factor or the defense because uh, off-field defense really hasn't been the problem this year, and they've already got plenty of speed. So can you can you sacrifice a little for the for the hitting because they really need it? I don't know, but um, I don't expect Mercado to be here long. I don't. I just don't think we'll ever see Alex Call here because they've got other guys who have priorities and. They're not going to waste a roster move on adding Alex Call to the 40, you know, just to DFA him and see him go get claimed. So, I don't know. I, th- I think eventually Alex Call's future is a trade to an organization that can use him. I just I don't think that's where it's going to go, unfortunately for him. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think Mercado is an easy DFA in the future and a guy that you can potentially stash back in your AAA system if he goes unclaimed. I mean, getting to Philadelphia, he went, I think, 17th or something like that in claim orders. So, midway through. He won it bad for them. Gosh, could you imagine putting Mercado in AAA right now? Like, their outfield's already crowded as it is down there. I don't know how you can even put him down there. Someone would have to take him. You'd have to find well, a trade for He looked really nice in that powder blue. And that one at bat you watched? Yes. It, it, well, I mean, he swung and missed. There's that. But, you know, that's typical for Mercado. But he looked really nice in the Phillies' colors. I wonder how it was for him to walk back in the clubhouse. Like he's been gone for what ten days, if that, ten, two weeks, and yeah, all of a sudden he just weird. walks. Yeah, just walk back in. Like that's awkward. Like, oh, hey guys, you know, I'm back and <laughs> welcome back, Oscar Mercado. And then I, I hope he has a suitcase packed. I don't know. Um, 
Yeah, so I don't I don't think Nolan Jones watch is like imminent or anything. I know some people got excited yesterday and he was out of the lineup for Columbus, but that just sounded like a planned day off. He was still in the roster. Um I don't think we're talking anytime people are talking about him about him coming up for Josh Naylor, who's got um, some back spasms after yesterday. Nolan Jones has not played an inning of first this year. He played one game of first base last year. So I don't think I don't think Nolan Jones is a first base option at this point in time. He has not played any first base this year. And and like I said, barely last year. So, um, yeah. And with the missed time that Jones has missed the last two years, well, last I guess last three years, really, because 2020, um, mm-hmm. his development time is going to be best spent in right and left field, and that's what they're doing right now. They've given him a few games in left now. Um, that tells me he's close, but not not there yet. Um, they'll probably give him an equal number or a, a good number of games in left field, and then probably late July. Well, we're, we're already in July, but probably in about three weeks, I think he's probably a, a call up if they need a left-handed bat. Um, but I think he would be ready by then, my opinion. And I don't think he gets any reps at first base, even though I think I uh, read somewhere that he had gotten a few defensively there, um, probably in batting practice or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't see him up immediately. And, and same thing with Brennan. Um, a lot of this is roster control issues. Why add Alex Call when you have more important priority pieces to add um, is call a piece for the future? No, I don't think so. Not for this organization. He can he can be somebody else's uh, Jordan Lowe or Brandon Geyer, um, but let him go be that there. You know, it's not that's not his future here. I mean, you could easily DFA him to add somebody else, but why even make the move to add him if you're not going to keep him long term um, anyway? If you already don't have him in the plan, so that also makes the most sense. I know. Our first question this week was from Nunzio Izzo, and he wanted to know, how about Alex Call? Does the return of Mercado signal the front office has no confidence in Call? And he asked if they, if they provide the same things. I Like we said, I think it's just, I don't think Call provides the same center field defense and speed that Mercado does, and Mercado probably isn't here long term, neither is Call. So why, why make that move if it's going to be a temporary move regardless? That's why. Um, because they are showcasing Mercado for another deal. <laughs> that's exactly what they're doing you are 100 percent right willie that is exactly what they're doing they are they are just trying to up his trade value because some team's going to come in and see him hit like a home run and and he looks good in that baby blue <laughs> yeah looks good in that blue so the the twins will claim him or the um well yeah the rangers who else has powder blue uniforms i don't uh, know the the Royals, they'll claim him, yeah. Um, well, they'll claim him after they trade Andrew Benintendi, yeah. Um, I also noticed that David Fry is catching again. That's a more regular basis. I, I'm so confused as to why they're finally doing this. I think it's a good thing. I don't necessarily know if he's going to be an option, but it can't hurt. But, you know, Bo Naylor obviously is getting all the reps of catching, a catcher down there while obviously assert, which makes the most sense. And Naylor is, you know, hitting again and doing what he's good at. Um Gavin Collins is still on that roster as a third catcher, but he's finally not catching. It's just Fry and, and Naylor as the two catchers for the most part the last week. Gavin Collins has been there all year, you know, when Mike Rivera was there and Lavastida was healthy. So why is Fry suddenly playing in front of Gavin Collins? I don't understand why that wasn't the case before, but I guess it's at least a good thing. Did Fry get all of his time last year at catcher with Milwaukee? I think that's the question. No. 
No, he did not. He he was he was split pretty pretty even between. I think he might have even played first or third more than he caught last year. Twenty nineteen was the last year that he was a full time. Um, yeah, so he was pretty split last year with in Milwaukee's system. So maybe they're just easing him back in. I don't know. That's only I could think of. But I'm glad to see yeah. he's catching again because at least he becomes an option. Maybe there was some shoulder soreness or elbow soreness or something there that it would have affected him throwing as a catcher where it wouldn't when he's out on the field, you know, um, because that motion does matter, you know. Um, I don't would know. Would it be the same at third base, though? What's that? Can he wouldn't it be third? the same at third? No, he has played third, so wouldn't wouldn't the throwing motion be the same at third? Well, I think well, popping up from your knees and throwing to second, I think it's a little bit different. But yeah, uh, you could throw from just, the you know, and, third. Sure, and I'm just throwing this out there as a what are the reasons it could be? I don't know. Maybe they wanted him to work more at first and, and third, and they thought they were fine because they had Lavasita and Rivera and Collins all in Columbus at the time, and then Rivera retired. And now they're using Fry again. So, and they called up Naylor to replace Lavastita. So, yeah, yeah, Naylor's looked really good lately. Uh, speaking of promotions, let's roll on to those. So, a bunch of movements last week. We had Logan Allen to Columbus. Finally, Xavier Curry to Columbus. Um, I, you know, you could have picked a number of guys from that Akron roster to go to Columbus. Joey Cantillo or Hunter Gaddis or Xavier Curry. I think we're all deserving. Curry had the better debut. Logan Allen, of course, got knocked out in the first inning because, you know, things are weird. And, um, you know, he got some bad batted ball luck, but also was around the plate a little too much and then did have a couple walks. But Curry was great, which is good to see. Um, he was up to 95, according to Iowa's uh, radar gun on their broadcast. So that was cool. Um, Tanner Bibby, I wrote I wrote that Tanner Bibby went to Columbus. That would be quick. But he's in Akron. Uh, finally, about time, speaking of Tanner Bibby, I had a – uh, or Bybee, I should say, had a uh, I had a feature on him last week before the holiday weekend. Uh, so go check that out if you haven't. I was lucky enough to finish it Friday and get it out Friday afternoon before uh, he was promoted on Saturday. I didn't plan it that way, but it, that's how it worked out. And it was good, I guess, good luck on my part that I got that out just before he was promoted. Um, did you see his uh, dad's tweet, by the way, Willie, after his promotion? I don't recall it. Uh, remind me. He, uh, they were, so his family was in Erie this past weekend to see, I'm sorry, they were in um, wherever Lake County was this past weekend. They were at home, right? Lake County was at home. Yeah, they were at home because I was at a game this week. So they were in town to see him. Yeah, it's been, it's been that kind of week. I, I didn't I'm know what day it was. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what day it was half of last week. Okay. It was, it was a long week. Um, so he was he his family was in town to see him pitch, and then he got promoted before he uh, or he got promoted later in the week. So they were with him when he got the call. So now they had to scramble to get uh, a flight to Erie to go out there with him. And then now they're I don't know if they've gone back home or not because Akron's back at home, and he should make his debut this week at Ak- in in Akron. Uh, but they were with him when he got the call, so that was cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I did not yeah. know that. Uh, I must have missed that in all of. The things that were going was, on over the weekend. Well, it was, it was like Saturday, so it was you know, the day before everything going on, and I just happened to notice that because when I I tweeted the article that his his dad responded, so that was cool. Congratulations to him because he is more than deserving of that promotion. You know, weeks ago Absolutely. probably, and then uh, Jack Leftwich uh, takes his spot in Lake County, being promoted from Lynchburg. He had a good debut, uh, six and a third innings pitched. 
four strikeouts, two walks, one hit allowed. I'd say that's pretty good. And then Ryan Webb goes to Lynchburg to replace Jack Leftwich. So a lot of upward movement. And this is what we talked about a few weeks ago. And I know people have been asking a lot of questions to us, Willie, about pitching promotions. I don't know if you're going to see a lot more pitching promotions other than um, getting Ethan Hankins back out to an affiliate um, because there's just not a lot of room to move guys right now because you've got to backfill all these rotations, and, and right now there's not a lot of options to do that. But fi- good to finally see some upward movement from the pit- some of these pitchers because it's it was a long time coming. Where do you think Hankins goes when he does come up or come back? I would say Akron, but, man, the roster's already so crowded. Maybe he gets a few innings in Lake County because he's never pitched above um, – He's never pitched above low A. When he when he was pitching healthy last time was 2019, and Lake County was a low A affiliate, then that's as high as he got. But Carlos Vargas also missed the same amount of time that Curry or that uh, Hankins did, and he went to double A. So maybe they push him to double A right away. I don't know. That would be crazy. He does have to be is Hankins. I think Hankins is Rule Five eligible this winter. Is he not? Yes, he is. Oh boy. Well, yeah. I would I would think he might go to Akron. Probably sometime after the All-Star break, I wouldn't be surprised. And, you know, speaking of promotions, there's just not a lot of arms left to promote from Arizona to Lynchburg, for example. Lynchburg's rotation is getting a little bit thin now, and they'll probably have to use an opener or two. But, you know, as I mentioned on Twitter yesterday, that there are several guys there that already have starting experience um, elsewhere, whether that be uh, Cassetta um, Stubbs in Seattle or – you know, a guy like Alan Hernandez, who did so in, in high school and um, I think out in Arizona a little bit, too. Yeah, you got him. And then I know Miguel Venicio has worked back and a couple other guys. And Jormand Gomez has been the best starter out in Arizona. He could see his way to get to Lynchburg. Um, you could get some other 21, 2021 picks. You know, Tommy Ventimiglia might be venture out that way. Um, Zach I think is, um, yeah, he's probably getting healthy. <laughs> You're reading my mind, or I'm reading yours. One, yeah, both. Now yeah, that happens a lot. Um, yeah, that's about it, though. Really, I mean, it, it's a pretty thin list. So, you know, getting guys like Will Dion and Trenton Denholm to Lake County is going to be tough because you got to fill those spots in Lynchburg, and then you got to move guys up. So, uh, this might be it for the, the bulk of the moves, I guess. For now, you might see one or two trickle in, but I think this might be it. Um, and then Willie, our second question from Nunzio is you who had a, had a lot this week, uh, as usual. Uh, I'm glad he got him in before the de- uh, before we started recording, because I feel like some of his questions come in after we've already been done. Uh, that's why he's trying to get them all in. But he wanted to know out of which which of them have been promoted, these pitchers, um, which are you most confident in doing well at the level they've just reported to? Out of all the pitchers that have been promoted, uh, yeah, which are you most confident? The easy one to me is Gavin Williams. Um, good seeing Xavion Curry out there in his first start. I, I think there's potential back in the, the rotation starter there uh, with Curry. Um, we both like Logan T. Allen. Yeah. Uh, Leftwich is still old for the level, but good to see him performing and outperforming, you know, his former teammate, uh, Tommy Mace, who, you know, we awesome. thought would be the starter and Leftwich would be the reliever. It's looking like it's the complete opposite right now, you know? So, Yeah, I saw Mace on Sunday, on this past Sunday, and it was uh, it was iffy. He 
had a hard time spotting the fastball for strikes and, and had a hard time with two strikes getting guys out. The slider looked good. Um, that was probably his best pitch, but yeah, command was not good. Control wasn't good. Fastball uh, was only He's up to nine. That's odd for a guy his age and a guy that has a reputation of being a command and control pitcher too. Yeah, and the, I, I want to say his fastball in college was probably, what, 93, 95? And he was topping out at 93 when I saw him on Sunday. Yeah, so Velo is down to it, and he got up to 97 on occasion in college, usually sat 92 to 95. Um, there were reports of 99, but I think those were just reports of 99. Could be, you know, midseason fatigue, dead arm period. You know, this Could is be, probably yeah. the, longest, the longest he's ever pitched, you know, April to July, so... You know, it could be one of those things. I would say, you know, Logan Allen had a bad first start, but I think he'll be fine in Columbus. Tanner Bybee, I think, will handle Ackman just fine. His stuff, he, he's at this point, he's really a power arm, which is amazing to say, isn't it? Because, I mean, he, he's throwing 95, 96 with, with regularity. He's hitting 99 this year. You know, the curveball is, has a lot of drop to it. The slider is a swing and miss pitch. The changeups come along this year. He really performs like a power arm now. I think he'll take the double A just fine. Yeah, I, I think he's I think he's fine. I mean, no, a foregone conclusion to me that, hey, maybe he's going to be fine in double A. Um, like I said, Gavin Williams too. I mean, I think he's going to handle He rebounded. Yeah. He had that bad start, I think, last Sunday where he got knocked out in the first inning. And then his start this past week in Erie was, I think he had six strikeouts and six innings and allowed like two yeah. hits. So, yeah, he was just fine. Um, how about Columbus this past week, Willie? They scored 50 runs in a matter of six games. They had four straight games over 10 runs per game, and that was, you know, the combination of Bo Naylor and Tyler Freeman and Nolan Jones, David Fry, Alex Call, just an offensive onslaught. That was incredible Justin, to see. You left out Will Brennan. <laughs> How can you leave out? Oh, my gosh, I did. I did. Wow. Will Brennan had a great week again. Man. Well, and Will Benson even. Will Benson had another good yeah. week. And- whole offense up and down the lineup was just insane. I mean, everybody was – they had grand slams in three stri- three straight games. I've never seen anything like that. And everyone's like, well, get all these guys up here. I think – not saying any of these guys aren't talented because obviously they are, but look at Fran Mel Reyes. Um, was swinging at everything. Couldn't, couldn't lay off a curveball. Couldn't even hit a curveball if it was in the strike zone. You know, before his uh, I Elston for that hamstring injury, if it was if it was an I Elston, goes to Columbus and tears the cover off the ball, comes back, and I think now he's just starting to look like his former self a little bit again. But for a while, when he came back, he still wasn't the same. I think that tells you that there's a huge gap between AAA pitching and Major League pitching, as big as there's ever been. Because I'm not saying these guys don't deserve the accolades for all the you know the great hitting they had the week, a week ago in Columbus, but. A cautionary tale that Fran Mil Reyes, who was an established big league slugger, um, went down there after a horrible, miserable start to the season, uh, crushed the ball, came back, and, and continued to suffer, I think, when he came back. So just a cautionary tale there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, sometimes numbers in AAA can be fool's gold. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't, I'm not even saying just the ballpark. I'm saying it's, you know, it's... Pitching at that level is tough. I mean, we think that Cleveland has a good pitching staff in Columbus, and um, even they're not performing as well as we had thought. I mean, Tobias Myers is off the 40 finally, which I thought they gave up on him a little bit too early. I think they could, there's still hope for him. 
Uh, Peyton Banfield's strikeouts have been down, but he's gotten his last start. He actually had seven strikeouts. So that was good to see. Um, John Kenzie Noel, speaking of promotions, um, he already has five homers, I think, in Akron. Amazing start there. Uh, Willie hit one on the roof of the hockey arena that sits behind Erie's ballpark, like literally on the roof. Yeah, and <laughs> having lived in Erie and delivered mail to both of those, I know how long a distance that is. <laughs> that is long. That is a long hit. Um, I know we've gotten a lot of questions about his start, and I think we have one this week too. Um, and yeah, I think I think it was um, from Zach who had asked us about uh, Noel starting if what we were reading into it, if he's how good he's doing. And I said the other day on Twitter that I think, you know, a the scouting report's not quite out on him in Akron yet. B, I think you've mentioned this too before that guys are in the zone more in the double A. They're throwing more strikes, so he's he has less opportunity to, to opportunities to chase out of the zone. So that takes away that part of that for him. Um, yeah, I, I just think that you know that's just kind of where he's at right now. I think it's a combination of those two things, and there were some other things I threw out there with that too. I can't remember what they were at this point, but. Um, it is a small sample size as well, but definitely good to see. We'll see what happens. And um, usually, a knock on, usually a knock on young power hitters like that is they're susceptible to the breaking pitch, but he and he, even Alex Free uh, Planas both seem to adjust, you know, to them sliders in on the hands and have driven them, you know, over the fences on several occasions. I, I think that's something that's really encouraging is, looking for those adjustments for young power hitters like that. And when they're able to do that, that that's, uh, I don't know, it's just a glimpse into their capabilities to make future adjustments, especially at such a level, being that aware uh, in at, in the at-bat to make the adjustment. I think that's a big thing. Instead of, it's one thing to learn later on, but it's another thing to adjust in, in game on the fly when the pitcher's coming back at you with the same thing and, and then actually punish him for it. Yeah, well, definitely. I think the one he hit on the roof of that stadium or the arena, I think, was a breaking ball. I think breaking balls in the zone he can manage. I think it's the ones he's chasing out of the zone that are the problem or that were the problem in Lake County. So we'll see how that goes. But I think that's part of why you have the the thing where pitchers in double A are, are throwing more strikes and he's taken advantage of that so far. But definitely good to see. And, um, you know, he's, he's hanging around in right field, which is cool. So, yeah. Um, not even the best player on his team the last two weeks since he's been to Akron, though. Mike Capri's back-to-back Player of the Week awards for the Eastern League. Uh, he had 416 last week. And then last week, he had 500. So two weeks in a row, he's hitting four and 500 at four straight games of the homer. Man, Mike Capri's has, has figured something out. He hasn't – I think he was a little bit quieter over the weekend. But, um, gosh, I, he – what is going on in Akron with, you know, Junior Batances? Because last two years, man, there's been nothing but offensive outbreaks and – I think I've said this multiple times, you know, to you, Willie, and I think you've said the same thing. Coming from the background Mike Caprice has come from, it might have taken him some time to figure it out. I'm not saying he'll stay that hot, but I think we knew it was going to take some time for him to figure it out. But he has definitely figured something out. A guy that can hit 500 on any level, and he hit 500 in Division Three, you know, is a guy that can hit. And he's probably going to hit 300 or better at a, at a higher level. Uh, of college play, that is. Um, mm-hmm. But a guy that can hit 500 over the course of a season can hit. 
does this swing remind you? Well, I'll, I'll ask you this off air because maybe it's crazy. We'll, we'll get to that later when we talk about draft stuff. Um, but another good week for him. I'm excited to see where he goes. He's the guy who's going to fly up our rankings. Um, I hope to have those finish up by the end of the week, our midseason rankings before the trading deadline and the draft. So look for that. Alexi Planez, 17-game uh, hitting streak. Talking about, really talking about adjustments. Um, I saw Planez on Sunday swing and miss at two straight sliders. And then the third one, uh, you pulled, uh, pulled a slider down the left field line for a double. So uh, to your point, he did exactly that. The guy has one walk all year. Like he, like I said before, he makes Oscar Gonzalez look patient. Um, but the guy just continues to hit. And he, and he also, last night when I was watching the game, he um, ran down a ball in the gap in the outfield that looked really good moving to his uh, to his right and then threw out a runner at second base. So mm-hmm. he is playing with some kind of confidence right now, and it's cool to see and um, never know yeah. how development will, will take place. I, I pointed this out to you the other day, but he's actually, I think, 12 days older than Isaiah Green, who's in Lynchburg. And yeah. there's not much difference between um, those two and uh, Luis Durango either. Um, both of those guys were, I think, in the offseason, or all three of those guys in the offseason were in our 40 to 50 range, somewhere in that area. But um, I think Plainez is a really interesting kid because he has grown into that frame and there's still more maturity there. But, I mean, he's just – he can hit and he makes adjustments. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. I don't know. Is he a, another Oscar Gonzalez in the future? Um, does he grow into that um, type of frame and that type of profile? And, and I'm, you know, obviously I'm projecting out four or five years now, but I mean, it seems like it's the early makings of a similar player, uh, maybe with a little bit better speed, but Gonzalez has better speed now than he did. So. Yeah, I will say, in a lot of my report, uh, scouting reports on Oscar Gonzalez, I was telling somebody at Lake County this the other day that I don't, you know, I didn't, I didn't, not that I didn't pay a lot of attention to Lake County because I knew he could hit, you know, the ball over the wall pretty hard and pretty far, but there were just a lot of things in this game he didn't do well that I thought wouldn't translate, and it, and it has to, you know, to the most extent so far. Um, but I would say at this age, at this level, Planez is um, already has better speed than Gonzalez had bet way back then. And as a better defender, I think in right field than than Gonzalez was back then. So he's got the. I mean, the arm is is pretty comparable. I would say Gonzalez has a hose, and Plonez definitely has a good arm. Um, Gonzalez was just an awkward runner and and didn't have a ton of speed and ability. I think in at this age, and Plonez seems to. So he already has that on him. I guess it's just a matter of his. He's just more athletic. Maturing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that's right. We shall see. I, I, you know, development's not linear. It, it happens when when it's going to happen for a player. It happens on their time, not not ours, and not when we think it's going to. So, uh, good for him to get. I mean, it's amazing to have a 17 game hitting streak without a walk. I mean, you'd think your opportunities would be more limited, right? <laughs> maybe the, when you put the ball in play every time. Well, maybe it shows more of his contact ability. You know, to be able to get that bat on the ball and and drive it to somewhere where they're not. It does. It does. I, I think he could benefit. Who knows when he gets to Double A next year, uh, Planez? Who knows what Junior Batances will do? He'll find something and he'll he'll start hitting thirty homers or something. I don't know. Well, look at the guy. The, the guy's Naylor, who went from a thirty. Yeah, like I was saying, uh, look at Bo Naylor, who went from a thirty uh, percent strikeout rate to down to twenty percent, and 
has jumped his walk rate, I think, near 20% too. He's got one of the highest walk rates, I think, in all of minor league baseball right now. If Blanez has like a 10% walk rate next year in Akron, I think you need to find like some sort of statue for Junior Potances <laughs> and, and find a promotion for him. 5% or 7% or something like that. Right. If he ends the year with like this great walk rate that he's never had, I'll, I'll be really impressed. Uh, that'll be interesting. That guy is doing something right down there. Junior Potances has been there for a while. He also played for the Akron Arrows, so shout out to him. Um, I want to get into some draft stuff real quick. I, I was going to put Another topic in here, I know our buddy uh, Nunzio Izzo wanted us to talk about the 2021 draft class and where they're at right now, but I think that's, uh, like Willie said, it's a podcast in and of itself. I think we don't have time for that today, so we'll get to that eventually. Um, really quickly, though, I think sometime in the next week or so, Willie, we should be hearing the Futures game selections. Um, I'm still pretty confident that, that Cleveland's going to have Gavin Williams, uh, Bo Naylor, and I think George Valera. Do you have any other thoughts, any difference of opinion there? No, those are the three that were already on my mind. Um, I was wondering, has Bo Naylor been in before? I can't remember if he was last year. He did make it last year. He was their only only selection last year, and so that was probably why they they chose him, because A, catcher is thin, and B, they didn't have anybody else for Cleveland to represent them, amazingly. Yeah, those three are the ones that make the most sense to me. Um, and catcher guess, for American League is as thin as ever, so he'll go again. Yeah, probably. I could see that scenario. Um, there I know are people uh, have been hoping for Will Brennan, but I, I don't know. That's a hard hill to climb. I, you almost never see guys who are not top 100 prospects in that game. Yeah, not not uh, not a player like Will Brennan. That's not a slight. It's just. When you have talented young outfielders coming up, it seems like all over the place. Um, yeah. I don't think Will Brennan is going to get it. I, I think Valera gets the nod over him. Um, there were a couple of uh, more questions that I DM to you. I know one of them yeah, is I got those. Um, the one was from Zane Stevens about Adam Mazur, the right hand pitcher from Iowa. He was asking if I think he will be a target. Um, for Cleveland in the competitive balance A round or in round two, and to answer, yes, I think he is a target in either of those. I think he fits better in round two, but a guy that has the strikeout rate right where they like it, um, a cold-weather arm that started out at South Dakota State, transferred into Iowa, performed on the Cape last year, so he checks the boxes. He's a young for the class, college junior too, so – you know, all of these things are things that Cleveland likes, and he has a strikeout rate above nine per nine. So a guy that uh, I think Cleveland is going to like and a guy that I, I put a, a 55 command on. So, um, yes, he definitely checks the boxes. I, I think he's right there in that range, 37 or pick 54 for them. Wow. Okay. Even I don't, I don't know if they've taken a lot of Big Ten arms. I mean, I know they took Tanner no. Tully, but I'm trying to think of other – not a lot of it's, other examples of Big Ten arms. Yeah, and that's that's why I've not really keyed in on him. I, I think there's a possibility, but there's other guys who have Big Ten or not Big Ten success, but SEC success that I think they would lean toward, um, or even guys that have performed longer. Uh, look at track record. Track record's a big thing for them. Um, I think that's where you get guys, what I call famous performers, guys that have performed for Perfect Game or on the Cape. Those guys. Um, USA. 
yeah, Team USA. That that's just a showing against equal or or even better talent, and they want to see how they can do against that. Um, it's a good indication of future success. So um, I think Mazur's all arrow is pointing up on him. I think he's an exciting potential draft pick for them. I'm not so sure they'll grab him just because he's a Big Ten arm, and it seems like they're focused elsewhere. Um, and that, and there's some left-handers that really fit what they like to do in this, in that second round range. I think that they'll look for, um, maybe an overslot, uh, pick up in the competitive balance round, somebody that slid out of the first round that they can possibly buy down. Speaking of the draft <clears throat> last week, Willie, you had a chance to do the mock draft with prospects live again. Um, you went with Jet Williams at pick 16. Uh, I went back and looked at your clip, sounded good. So um, if you want to go through maybe your pick at 16 for Jet Williams and that mock draft and who was available that you're considering and why you went with Jet Williams real quick. Uh, Jet Williams just kind of fits what Cleveland does with their draft model. Middle of the diamond player, uh, somebody that has advanced hit tools, somebody that's performed on a high level, you know, a famous game performer, so to speak. He performed with perfect game. Um, somebody that's got that 60 hit tool. He's also got positional versatility. He's a shortstop, can stick at shortstop potentially. If he doesn't, he slides over to second or moves out to center field and becomes a premium center fielder with a strong arm. Um, I think it was a 6'4-7-60-92 on the mound and across the diamond too from shortstop. So you have an above average arm there. Um, just on the just on the fringe of average to above average average arm from from the hole in short. Um, I think that's the knock on him, but you know, uh, Joe Doyle, who I believe has probably seen him in person where I haven't, um, said he can definitely pick it at short uh, and belongs there. Uh, I think another knock is in short is because he's only five foot eight. But, you know, I, I don't think you have to be tall. I think you just have to be extremely athletic to handle shortstop position. And, and Williams has plus speed for the reason that he would fit so well, either at second base. And some people have said he'll have the arm in the bat for even third base, but with Jose locking that up for the next seven years or so, I, I don't even think Williams would be an option at third base or, you know, for him, I, I think it's center field or shortstop. And I think he'd be a premium shorts or a premium center fielder right away. If they would make that pick and make that transition with him. Um, Cole Young is another name you're going to hear. And I've seen links more and more to Cleveland. He's from North Allegheny high school in the Pittsburgh metro area. Um, he's a kid with a, a plus bat. Really one of the kids that, uh, you know, Jared and I have talked kind of in discussions. And unfortunately for Justin, he's caught in the middle of me and Jared bantering back and forth about draft talk sometimes. Um, My and, phone with your guys' picks on the mock draft is, it was going crazy this morning. My phone was just buzzing every other five seconds. <laughs> yeah, and Jared and I will keep weird, weird hours. Jared will be up at like 5 a.m. and so will I sometimes, or I'll be up at like 1 or 2 a.m. I don't know when Justin sleeps, but I know you're probably getting notifications from Never. either of the two of us around the clock <laughs> because of that. But uh, Cole Young is a is a kid, much like uh, Tyler Freeman, the elite or the premium bat-to-ball skills. Uh, power isn't really there yet, but if you look at his exit velocity, his exit velocity is around 94, 95. Um, that's pretty good for a kid that's almost 19. I would say that's in the above average to plus range for that age. Um, it's right in line with where Jet Williams is too. Similar speed to Jet Williams. I think a tick faster, um, better glove 
and a stronger arm from shortstop, and he's a pure shortstop. The the lone knock on him being a cold weather guy, cold weather guys tend to be underdeveloped, but he's also just a tick below 19. So that that would be something that would ding him in Cleveland's model because they've usually gone younger prep, but it seems like most of the prep talent this year is a little bit older with a few exceptions. Um, really think you could, and, and we've talked about uh, Cooper Yerpy there. Um, mm -hmm. I know I'm never going to be able to pronounce his name right. So there's a good potential Cleveland will draft him just because I can't say his name. Hey, they stayed away from Carmen Moschinsky last year for my benefit, so it was like two years ago. So we got lucky there. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I never knew how to say his name. I just knew I liked him, but he didn't quite fit their demographic either. So yeah. Uh, if they stick to like somebody like Young or Williams, I'll be all right. Uh, That'd be great. Well, Cole Young won today. I know you brought him up. He was in Prospects Live, uh, yep. their mock draft today that came out. So that was interesting. They also mentioned Carson Wisenhunt. Who I thought that would be fun at 16. I, I you know, he didn't obviously pitch this year because of uh, the performance enhancing suspension, unfortunately. And then um, first time I've seen them linked to Jacob Miller, who is a uh, Southern Ohio right-hander. I know at 30 at uh, 37, that was interesting too. And then uh, you could talk more about Jacob Miller, and you could talk more about their pick at 54, who uh, is a is a new name for me as well. Sure. Um... First of all, Carson Wisenhunt is a left-hander from East Carolina, was suspended for pets. Um, let's just say they're already familiar with him because they drafted his teammate last year. They signed his catcher at East Carolina, Seth Cadell, as an undrafted free agent, and they also drafted a former teammate, Trey Benton. So they should have a good relationship, good rapport, and good awareness of who or what Carson Wisenhunt is. He's now pitching in the Cape Cod League, and I think he's doing all right there. I'm not blowing anyone away, but, you know, he hasn't really pitched all season. So he's there's healthy. that. Yes, he, yeah, he's healthy, unlike a lot of the arms from this draft class. There's a good eight a or nine top arms gone, um, thanks to Tommy John injuries. Um, Jacob Miller is a, gee whiz, a nice fastball into the mid-upper 90s, I think, now. Uh, from a smaller frame, I think he's 6'1", 190, a Louisville commit, plus curveball, I think changeup. I think there's a slider in there, too. I think uh, the knock on him would be control, and he's an older prep arm, too, uh, from the, I think, the Delaware, Ohio area, so uh, Columbus metro area, if I remember right. And then uh, Jackson Cox was mentioned, I think it picked 54 by Prospects Live, and he's from somewhere out in Washington State, an older prep arm, like 18-8, I think is his age, like 6'3", 190. Gets into the mid-90s, an above-average slider, change-up. Uh, can't remember where he's committed. I think it's a school out west, though. Yeah, so that was all in uh, Prospects Live Mock Draft 4.0 today. Take a look at that. Those guys do, obviously, tremendous work. And they obviously know Willie does tremendous work because they had him on for the Mock Draft last week, last Wednesday. So go to their YouTube channel and check out Willie's uh, – uh, hit there talking about the pick of Jet Williams, and of course Willie's going to have Willie. What do you what do you have coming up? You can tease. I know you have tons of of draft stuff, uh, written stuff in the works coming up. There is uh, draft content for every day of the week next week. Since it's going to be draft week, I'm going to celebrate it. There's going to be four pieces of Guardian types uh, position players and pitchers. Right now, I'm going to wean it down, um, but I have over 100 prospects on there. It, it's 
significantly more than 100 prospects on there right now. So I'm going to wean that down, and you all will get to see that. There is a mock draft in the works right now for Friday. Uh, that'll be part one, and I think we'll have a part two out next week. We'll have a draft primer and then my top 150 updated uh, just before the draft, too. So there's six or seven pieces or more rolling next week right before the draft just to get us prepped and ready. That's a lot. Um, just to throw it out there now, some of that stuff is going to be just because of the amount of work that Willie puts into it and the amount of hours that go into it. We're going to make sure we, you know, share enough with the masses uh, to be excited and, and get people reading and prepare them for the draft. But also some is going to be behind the paywall just because of the effort that does go into it. And, um, you know, it's worth subscribing to and, and Willie's worth uh, being paid for it. So make sure you're subscribing. Um coming up to, to get some of that. We'll, we'll mix a good balance of free and, and paywall stuff. So make sure you're um, tuned into all that because it'll, it'll be both ways, but um, just out of respect to how much Willie does put in the work for all this stuff um, on both ends of it, really. So keep stay tuned for that. Anything else draft wise, we want to get into these questions and then roll out of here. Let's go with the questions. We still have a lot. We still have a lot. All right. You answered Zane Stevens question. Uh, our buddy Kevin Sheed, Sheedology over at the guys, uh, Everybody Hates Cleveland, doing good work over there, um, had, a, had a trade proposal for us to, to look at. So, number one, um, who says no? And this includes um, Miami's Pablo Lopez and Anthony Bass, both pitchers, uh, start and reliever, respectively, for Will Brennan, Gabriel Arias, Logan Allen, and Mike Priest. Willie, I am going to say that the Marlins say no to that package. What say you? I think they want more for Lopez. Yeah, I would agree. I think uh, you need a uh, none of those guys are frontline trade guys, and uh, Lopez is a young, controllable starter. I think you need um, a better headliner than what you're getting. I know they they have to really love Gabriel Arias to make that tr trade work, and they have. Um, Gosh, who's the shortstop they had last year? I know he's not having a great season. Who's the shortstop they grabbed last year in the minors? Well, Watson. Yeah, and I, I guess that doesn't make a difference because Watson's at low A and Arias could play now. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's just knocks on Watson that he's a second baseman and he's short, and you know that's always a knock on a short shortstop. I just think you need to swap one of these guys out for a, a bigger piece. I think I think it works for the most part, but I think you need a better headliner than Gabriel Arias, unless they really love him. I don't know. I just, I don't see him being the headliner in any trade. So not, not, or, I'm not saying not for Pablo Lopez, I should say. Or, or drop Bass out of the equation altogether. And maybe they would consider that, but I think then you're, then you're still having to drop Priest for somebody like Xavier Curry or a Hunter Gaddis in there or something like that. You might have their attention then might be able to get her, get her done. Then I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know how much trade value Priest has either because this is all this this breakout's relatively new, and I don't know how anybody thinks of him um, and, spread and out. I'm, I'm going to say no. Corner profile too. I mean, left fielder, uh, first baseman. So yeah, that limits him as well. Even as much as we like him right now, uh, the other trade it was the Cubs catcher Wilson Contreras and a reliever Scott Efros for John Kenzie Noel, Jose Tana. Brian Labastida and Tanner Burns, and I would say, I think if you throw in a, a better pitcher than Tanner Burns, I think this comes close to working. I don't think Burns is the right arm for this trade, but I think it comes close. Yeah, I 
I think you have to go with a, a better arm than Burns, maybe a Gaddis. Curry both sit higher on my rankings, maybe uh, by Utello. the – Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to go that high. So I suspect Cleveland may say no because they don't want to go that high. Um, but I, I like what he's doing is he's trying to bring back two pieces and answer a couple of a uh, couple of the problems that the organization has right now. One, fortifying the bullpen without going and spending four prospects on David Bednar, you know, which yeah. might be worth it. But do you spend that much on a guy who's not a closer? Probably not. Uh, but they did it with a, a unique situation when they had the opportunity to get Andrew Miller. Unless you're going to go out and get Josh Hader, which uh, Mad Thinker threw out there to me the other day. It's a hat tip to That'd be Matt interesting. I think the idea there. I don't really know much about Scott Efros. I can't, I can't really say there. I know he's a reliever, but I don't really know a ton about him. I think he's relatively young and controllable, so I'm not sure how much the Cubs really want to give him up. But um, either way, I think you need a better pitcher in that in that scenario. And gosh, I don't even know. You might need another another. You might be able to add Gaddis, and you might still need to add one more player down the line, like a. Uh, I don't know, an Isaiah Green or a, or somebody in Lynchburg, you know. And you have to think about it from the Cubs' perspective is they can what do they need? Slap a, they can slap a qualify, uh, qualifying offer on him, and then you're getting a top 30 player, essentially, or a top 35 player uh, next July. Next year. So, yeah. yeah, and if you quantify that, you're looking at a, probably a top 10, top 15 prospect by getting a player that high. Um, you know, Tanner Burns was a comp. Pick. So if you think of them in that, those terms, um, you get that high level compensation. Of course, all of that is how Major League Baseball would quantify that. And I, I don't understand all of their gibberish with all of that. But um, <laughs> I'm just saying it would add more draft pool flexibility for that organization. And, and I think that is a thing for them, um, particularly going with a, a youth movement, so to speak. They're, they're going to build from the ground up, so to speak. And I do think they'll move pieces. Um, I just think it's a matter of time, um, but I think it's not going to be easy to get them away from them either. And, and remember that um, Carter Hawkins is a former Cleveland front office member. So he knows the system very well. That's going to affect things as well. He's going to know who to ask for. So I think he would probably definitely in de- demand a better pitcher than Burns. So, yeah, I guess it's probably a no from Miami and, and probably a no from both on the Cubs and the Guardians, I think, on this one because of what you said about including the better pitcher. So, um, Let's see. We talked about David Fry. Uh, Quincy Wheeler, our buddy Quincy, had a question about um, seeing reports about David Fry not really being a capable quality defender at first or third. What are your thoughts? Um He's not really a plus defender anywhere, truthfully. It's not like you're getting any premium defense. Um, when we had I had Megan on the podcast talking about the Clippers a couple weeks ago, she had said that you know he's fine at third, he's fine at first, nothing really special. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to sit there. He, if David Fry comes up, he's not coming up for defense. You know, he's a guy that if he plays any position, he might get if he if he starts, he's going to get two or three at bats, and you're going to pull him for a pinch runner, a defensive replacement. That's where I'm at. I think. Yeah, pinch hitter with some power. Yeah, and, and an emergency catcher too. You feel you feel better about pinch hitting for Luke Maley or, or Austin Hedges, knowing you have David Fry on the bench. Yeah, that's the case. And 
Um, he's not a zero with the bat, but you also, you know, like I said, if you, if you start him in any position, chances are he's playing seven innings and you're bringing a defensive replacement and that's, that's how it's going to go. Um, any insights on the team's perception of Bo Naylor's defensive developments? Is he on track for opening day debut in 2023? I don't have any insight on his, on that, what the team thinks of his defense. I do know that, um, I'd have to go and look at baseball prospectus's framing numbers and, and who knows how much longer framing is going to be a factor in all this, but the arm's fine. The game calling is, is okay. Uh, they trusted him to catch, you know, all those good pitchers in double a Willie, uh, Espino, uh, Williams for a little bit before he went to Columbus and Logan Allen, Hunter Gaddis, Joey Cantillo. They trusted him to, to catch all those arms this year. So I would say they are, they're pretty okay with this defense. As for opening day 2023, it's hard to project because history would tell you that this team doesn't turn the keys over to the starting catcher to a young bat first player. The last time we saw that was Carlos Santana, and that's going back to like 2011. Even he was a midseason call up that year. So um, your last examples are Jan Gomes and Roberto Perez, who were A, glove first guys. B, they were all like 26, 27 when they came up. It wasn't like they were like you know, kids like Bo Naylor. So I don't know about an opening day debut next year, but they do like him. I, I, I not just defensively. They, the organization loves Bo Naylor and the way he works and the way he's made improvements. They, they really do like him a lot. Then I think James Harris has said in the past that um, Bo Naylor makes his job look very easy. And a little nugget that I think is very valuable for his future very insightful move on his part, uh, which Zach Measel had at The Athletic. And if you're not a subscriber, check for sales because they literally have those for like a dollar a month sometimes. And you can get a lot of great insight in his pieces. So I definitely recommend it. But he mentions Bo Naylor uh, took the time to learn Spanish in the offseason, along with several teammates, uh, Peyton Battenfield, Tanner Burns. And then there was another, can't remember who the fourth player was, but I think that's insightful on his part to be able to um, translate the game, so to speak, to his teammates and be able to communicate. And I, I think that is, uh, I, th- I think that's something that a leader does. And I think catchers are often leader or a leader of the staff, uh, a leader of the team. You find that a lot of your catchers tend to be uh, future managers and stuff because of the game management and what they do, but I think it's a very intelligent move on his behalf and very uh, foresightful to take the time to learn Spanish and be able to communicate better with his teammates. Xavier Curry was the fourth. I went and looked it up because Quincy actually tweeted this earlier. So um, not surprised by Bo Naylor taking the initiative to do that at all. Um, just a really intelligent kid. And I, I, I don't even know. Obviously, the Naylors are from Canada. I don't even know. Maybe... Do any of them speak French? Does he speak three languages now? Because the article says that Naylor is like fluent in Spanish now, which is amazing. I, I, I don't know any other languages, but I will I will say what I know is is picking up a language after um, a certain age is a lot harder as you get older. And for him to pick that up is incredible. So I learned I, I, Greek, um, Greek and Spanish a little <laughs> bit. Uh, I knew enough Spanish to get me in trouble, so uh, nothing I can say on the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. the organization is super high on him. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he is up next year. It, 
look, if anybody, if they're going to do that to anybody, you know, opening day catching role, it would be Naylor for sure. I just, you know, the track record says they don't, but um, he's a special case. So we'll see. I mean, we didn't think Quan would be the opening day left fielder this year, and he was. So I guess you never know. Uh, Chuck wants to know, will Ahmed Rosario be the shorting, starting shortstop post-August 2nd? And when will promotions be made to help the offense, particularly with Nolan Jones, Tyler Freeman, Will Brennan? I have given up on trying to pick the Ahmed Rosario thing, Willie. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say anymore. I mean, I, I can't. can they afford to trade him because of their offense right now? Um, you know, yeah, you'd like to see Tyler Freeman come up. You'd like to see Gabriel Arias get more chances. You'd like to see um, other guys get chances, but... Can they afford to trade him? Is it does it make sense? Can they get a, can they get value for him? Because that's that's the first question you have to ask is okay, are they going to trade him at Rosario? Well, what value do they set on him? What what do they expect to get back from him? Because we know what this organization does, right? They set a value on a player, and if they don't get it in trade, they don't trade. So, what's the value they have on him at Rosario, and is is there going to be a market to meet the value? Because that's my only question. I don't know. I don't really know the answer to those questions because he's such a strange player. He's He's not a terrible hitter. He's a good hitter. He's not a great shortstop, but he's an okay shortstop. He runs well, and apparently he's very well liked as a teammate. And I know that matters to them right now. So, I who was the uh, second baseman that was traded by the Padres to the Mariners in the offseason for Ray Kerr, who was a left-hander, left-hand reliever, and, and another one, uh, Adam Frazier, maybe. Is it who he was? went from the. Yeah, he went from the Pirates to the Padres and the Padres to the Mariners. Yes. Uh, I think trade value is going to be very similar to what Adam Frazier got um, this offseason in, in that type of trade because I think he has one year of control remaining. So Ahmed would be facing a similar situation. And I can't put the value of, uh, of, an, of a typical shortstop on Rosario because he's not a typical shortstop. He's an average hitter. Um, singles hitter. He has good speed. He's immensely athletic. He's a fun player offensively. Unfortunately, he has to take the diamond and field the ball at shortstop uh, because that's apparently the only position this organization thinks that he can play and that, well, he's shown that he can even marginally play, um, which is frustrating, but there's that. I, I don't know. Um, I'll be honest. I think the next three, four weeks will tell us, you know, if this team starts to drop off or, you know, are they contenders or are they pretenders? I think a lot of that will be figured out in the next few weeks, but I will add to that even in the past that they have moved guys like Trevor Bauer in the past uh, when they were contending or trying to contend for the the position or the division rather um, they were willing to, to make that move because they felt it made them better long-term um, would it make them better long-term to give that time of development to Andreas Jimenez at shortstop and potentially Tyler Freeman at second base or Gabriel Arias or whoever they say, hey, we're going to give the first go around at second base? Um, I don't know. I, I think you can flip a coin and call what they're going to do there. You know, um, Early in the season, I would have said yes right now because they may be contending and, you know, I, I don't think it's going to really affect Rosario's value one way or the other. Um, I don't know. Depends on the market. 
the, the market is is all dependent here. I mean, is is yeah, there a market for Rosario and what's their value? Is someone going to mean it? Also depends too. You know, what who are they going to keep at, at as the other infield position? You know, are they going to keep Tyler Freeman? Do they think that Brian Rocchio is the guy? Um, and what other trades they make? And, and obviously, we think that they're going to include any of these infielders in a trade to upgrade somewhere else in the major league roster. Well, if you trade Tyler Freeman, you're probably going to want to hang on to Med Rosario because Brian Rocchio is probably still a year away. So you need someone, unless you unless you trade Rosario and you put Arias at short and, and Jimenez at second, you can go that route. But I think it depends on who they hang on to as well, right? Because if they, if they trade certain prospects, then, okay, you probably hang on to Rosario a little bit longer because you've just traded away some prospects closer to the majors. If you trade Freeman and Arias, then... You know, maybe you want to hang on to Rosario. So I don't know. It, it, this is one of the harder cases we've had in a while to to figure he's out what they're going to do. He's an out of position player who is filler, um, for lack of a better term. But I mean, he is an athletic player with an average bat, and because of that, he's maintained a spot in his lineup. I think his value isn't going to be any higher if you're looking at trade. But his trade value isn't really high, frankly, if you look at what you're going to get at. Uh, in return for him. So that's, that's the thing is, is he more valuable to Cleveland or is he more valuable to another team? If another team wants to pony up and give them what they want, that's, you know, that maybe that happens. Um, frankly, right now I'm leaning that they keep him through the deadline um, and potentially trade another infielder. So I'm going to say 51, they keep him 49, they trade him. <laughs> Ask again in a couple of weeks, Chuck, we'll have a clearer. Yeah, maybe it'll be more muddy. I'll I'll shake the magic eight ball next time we ask this question. I don't know. That's that's the best I can do. Uh, I don't see. I know, like I said, Nolan Jones might be up sometime this month. Freeman, I don't know, and Will Brennan, I don't know. That's that's a tough one too. I don't see them making that move for Will Brennan anytime soon. Yeah, uh, another one. Forty man status. Jones is already on the forty man. So right, yeah. So they're not gonna. You're not gonna get both of those for sure. Um, I know Nunzio Izio asked about if the rubber ducks might play in Lake County or Cleveland this week because of the, um, the unrest going down on down in Akron. It, they're going to play in Akron tomorrow. So I guess that kind of renders that mute, uh, moot. I, I, yeah. Moot. Is that the right word? I don't know. Yes. We've talked for an hour and 10 minutes. Words, words are just escaping me and they sound weird at this point. Um, he asked about, um, if how are Burgos is blowing up, he's starting to get look pretty good. We've talked about Planez, Gabriel Rodriguez is look good. Angel Martinez, man, Angel Martinez is having a great year right now. Willie, I know you like him a lot. He's having a great stretch right now. Petey Halpin had a good game the other day. Um, he also asked about two pitchers. So asked about Josh Wolf. He's inactive in Lynchburg again. I don't know why. Um, unfortunately for Lenny Torres, he is inactive at Lake County. And I guess we can put this out there, even though, you know, it's not really our business to do so, but it, it is on social media. At least it's been on Lenny Torres' Instagram. Um, Lenny Torres' father is, is dealing with uh, late-stage cancer, so that is why he is inactive right now, unfortunately. Um, I'll, I'll find the link to the GoFundMe page. I know the family has a GoFundMe page out there for his dad's um, treatment, so that's unfortunate. But um, that I'm not, I'm, I guess that's not I, – I shouldn't assume that's why he's inactive in Lake County, but I'm – I'm guessing that has something to do with it. So, um, yeah, I, I read somewhere that that was directly a part of it because he chose to be with his family right now rather than um, 
the organizational family that he has too. A uh, good call on Perez's. I, I think that's a sign of maturity in a in a young man. Yes, it's a lost time developmentally, but I think it's a good sign of maturity that he has his priorities in you know the right order right now. Yeah. So best wishes to Lenny Torres Sr. and the Torres family for that. Like I said, I'll find the GoFundMe link and I'll, I'll include it in the podcast uh, description this week. Um, and then he also wanted to ask too about Trenton Brooks getting the call if Naylor was hurt seriously. I, I don't think Trenton Brooks is uh, – I think they'd find a way to get Bobby Bradley back on the roster before they call him Trenton Brooks. So I don't think you'll see that happen. All right, Willie, ready for play of the week so we can finally get out of here? <laughs> I know people are probably tired of listening to us if they're still listening to us somehow. Um, last week, I took Will Brennan. Obviously, had a great week. I took Logan Allen. Uh, he lasted two-thirds of the inning in his debut. You took Tyler Freeman. Pretty solid week for him. Hunter Gaddis had a pretty solid week uh, in his one start. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that because the Logan Allen start blew up that you uh, – you're going to get that win there because uh, as good as Will Brennan has been, he didn't have as one of his best weeks of the year. Um, I would say Freeman and Gaddis were more consistent. So congratulations. You are now four games ahead of me in the standings this week, this year. <laughs> it's going good. With, with that, you have the first pick. Oh, I, I have the first pick every week and it's not working. Maybe I should pick last. I don't know. You get the um, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe by default I'll pick somebody who just has a better week. Um, all right, I'm going to ride Alexi Planez's coattails. I'm going to say he keeps the hitting streak going. I'll take Alexi Planez. He already had a good game Monday, so we'll count that. And then, um, gosh, I, I took Logan Allen. He did not have a good first start in AAA, but give me Tanner Bybee. I'm going to say Tanner Bybee has a good first start in uh, in Akron. And I'll hope that works this time for me. I'm going to stick with Hunter Gaddis, and I am going to flip over to Nolan Jones and and ride with Nolan Jones this week. He's been hot. He's been good. I can't wait. I'm supposed to talk to him soon. I hope I can because he's been really good. Uh, curious to see what happens there. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he will get the call, and then you won't have him, and I'll win by default because one of your players got called up. <laughs> Although you can argue – you can argue a call-off's the best week you, you can have. So I guess even even then, um, it's been a rough year. All right, we've, we've drawn on pretty long. Will, anything else you want to add before we get out of here? Are we good? No, I'm done. My brain is toast at this point. <laughs> yeah, words don't make sense. Uh, my oh. brain's fried too. So uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for the questions. Um, we'll be back next Monday with, I don't know, I, I'd imagine we'll be, we might even be more draft-focused next Monday, Willie. I mean, we'll be a week away at that point, right? Maybe. Yes. Yeah. So maybe more, more, more draft content than we'll see, but uh, yeah, follow rate, subscribe, um, share with your friends, check out the website, guardiansbaseballinsider.com, sign up to be a subscriber, all that good stuff. Let me know if you're interested in the discord, if you got this long, uh, we're out of here. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.